plane last Sunday. We were coming back from a wedding of a family friend, and I was just giggling because I knew there were so many of you yet last week who were looking at the board and going, why are we doing personality? And we skipped over abilities. And so that OCD part of you, I just know was kicking. So we're going to backtrack just a little bit this week, and we're going to go back to abilities. Um, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 31 uh, in order to do that. So Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 uh, through 11. Hear the word of the Lord for you, his church, this morning. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oliab, the son of Ahisamach, the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all of the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his son, for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So I pray by it this morning that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us, that you might captivate our imaginations this morning for all that you've called us to. Father, give us a greater vision this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, shortly before Steve Jobs passed away, he was the founder of Apple. Uh, he was quoted in saying this in an interview. Ever since I had cancer, I've been thinking about God more. And I find myself believing a bit more. Maybe it's because I want to believe in an afterlife. That when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. But sometimes I think it's just like an on-off switch. Click and you're gone. And that's why I don't like put, putting on-off switches on Apple devices. Maybe I want to believe in an afterlife because when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. Right? You linger with that quote, like I have this week, for any period of time. And if you're like me, I think you start to get uncomfortable. And it isn't because we have questions about an afterlife, right? We believe in God. We believe in him for our salvation. But you get uncomfortable with that quote because you realize the implications of what he's saying. That on death's door, he's wrestling with the value of his life's work, right? Steve Jobs spent his whole life innovating, pushing the boundaries of technology. And then when he's faced with his own death, he wonders if he spent his life doing something of any real value, Right? When he dies, does it all just disappear? Click. Right? Does it turn off? Was it worth it? 
And he certainly hopes not, right? He hopes that what he has done will continue to benefit not only those who are living, but I think in some sense changes in part the very course of eternity. And I open with that quote this morning because I think that's honestly what we wrestle with when it comes to us and God. Because I think for so long, you and I have been conditioned, and dare I say even discipled, to see simply spiritual matters as first importance. And then our earthly abilities, the intelligence, the knowledge, the vocations that we have is secondary practices, right? And even sometimes lesser ventures than our own spiritual uh, ventures, right? That God really, when you come down to it, he really only cares about your worship attendance. He really only cares about how you serve inside the church. He really only cares if you're a nice and moral person. He really only cares if you tell people about Jesus and you know, he really only cares if you give your tithes to the church, right? These are what we've been taught are the outward visible signs of what a Christian ought to be. That's how we make God happy with us. But then Monday comes and we go back into our various workplaces. We go back into our schools. We get into the throes of tending our families and our homes. And I think all of us have felt this disconnect and it's that disconnect what Steve Jobs felt that he spent his whole life pouring into his work at Apple and he was good at it. His knowledge and his skills made a difference. And the question is, well, does God care about that too? Right? Maybe you felt that for six days a week, you invest and you use abilities, things that you're good at. You're gaining knowledge and technique in your vocations or your schools, right? You're practicing skills and sports and hobbies. And you do a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily say are spiritual things. Right? Does God care about that? Or does he simply care about the moral aspects of being a good person, reading your Bible, praying regularly? Right? Does God care about the hours you spent this week helping your client? Or does God care about the creative energy that you spent building that proposal or working on that school project? Or does he really only care when you show up to serve on a Sunday? And this passage that I read this morning, I think it reveals to us that this disconnect that we sometimes have, between our spiritual and our secular lives, our faith and our natural talents and our gifts and our abilities, that's a false either or decision. Rather, this passage teaches us that God, far from not caring about our abilities and our talents and our work, he rather calls us and he commissions us to use those abilities, to use our learned skills for his glory, right? God cares about the things that we're good at. And he calls us in scripture to do them well, to do them well. And so in that sense, what I want us to talk about this morning is the idea that ministry is not narrowly defined to the idea that we're just training congregation members to be little mini pastors, to give you all the skills that we do, right? right? Ministry is not simply being coerced and trained into doing full-time ministry like us, right? Ministry for the church is using your natural knowledge, your skill set, your learned abilities, along with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and his gifts and putting it all to work for the flourishing of your place in the kingdom of God. So in order to see that, I want us to look at these two guys, Bezalel and Oliab, as mentors this morning. Right? These men were called by God not to do something that I think any of us would usually describe as ministry but they were called to do what they were good at, building and crafting things. 
And what I want us to see is that the way that God connects their abilities to the grander scope of redemption, of what he's doing in the world is actually an echo. It's a pathway for how we might think about using our own abilities, our own talents, our own knowledge, our own work to be God's instruments of redemption in the world. So I want us to ask that question. What can we learn from these two guys, Bezalel and Oliab this morning about how we might use our abilities and our talents for God's glory. And I think we can learn two things. And I apologize that I'm an awful Presbyterian pastor and I only have two points this morning. Uh, Hopefully you'll bear with me and that doesn't distract you. But first thing we learn is that we should serve the work. We should serve the work. And if you go back to this passage, the background is that the Israelites are at Mount Sinai. They've been uh, redeemed from the clutches of Egypt and slavery. And so now they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've been made the people of God. They belong to God. Now God is calling for them to build a place for him to dwell. God's special presence would dwell in this place called the tabernacle, which sat in the center of the Israelite camp. And yes, God is everywhere all the time. But in the Old Testament, uh, God's special presence, his tangible presence would dwell uh, in the middle of the tabernacle. And this tabernacle was to be tended by the religious leaders of the day. It was to be tended by the priests. There's a lot of sections in the Old Testament where it talks about, you know, how priests ought to do this offering, how they ought to act before the people. But in Exodus 31, there's a really interesting shift in that this passage does not call for the priests to be involved in the building of the tabernacle. Rather, God calls two guys, Bezalel and Oliab, two master craftsmen who the scriptures say God has given great ability and knowledge to work and construct the elements. And if you go back and you look at that, what's fascinating is that the word in Hebrew that God is using to call Bezalel and Oliab. If you take that word call, that is the same call that God gave to Moses. It's the same call that God gave to Abraham. And so you start to connect the two, right? God is calling Bezalel and Oliab in the same way that he called Moses and Abraham. And why is that important? Well, it's because it starts to break down this divide that we sometimes have in our minds, that there's this sacred, religious, holy aspect to our lives and that there's this secular aspect to our lives, right? There are the things we do for the church and God, and then there are things that we do to make a living and to enjoy the world. And in our minds, we like to separate the two, right? And what we talked about earlier is God really cares about this spiritual side of our lives. And, you know, he really doesn't care so much about the secular aspect of our lives. And then the story of Bezalel and Oliab comes along and that divide couldn't be farther from the truth because if God is calling Abraham and Moses in the same manner and distinction as he's calling these two craftsmen to do that task, then doesn't that throw that divide out the window, right? I think we would all say that Moses and Abraham had high spiritual callings, but so did Bezalel and Oliab, right? They were different callings, but all important in God's working of redemption. Dorothy Sayers uh, has a tremendous article called Why Work? And she starts to answer that question a little bit this way. She says this, Christian people, perhaps maybe most the Christian clergy, must get it firmly into their minds that when a man or woman is called to a particular job of secular work, 
that it is as true a calling as to a thoroughly religious one. See, Bezalel and Oliab were called by God to be craftsmen and to work in the tabernacle because that was the way that God intended to use them, right? Building and crafting something that would allow the people of God to enjoy the beauty and the glory of God. And so far from making Bezalel and Oliab adapt and just simply learn the skills of a priest in order to be useful in God's people, right? God gave Bezalel and Oliab skills and abilities that were useful in glorifying God in their particular place in the kingdom. When I was in college, I went on this Christian leadership retreat with crew and we were broken up with a couple students and then there were a couple grad students and these grad students were on staff with the ministry, but they also had a couple part-time jobs. Uh, And I remember we were having one of these chats about uh, glorifying God at work. And she said during one of these chats that uh, the staff member was feeling a little bit underwhelmed about her call. And the reason was, is she said she was working in an office and that she had shared the gospel with every single person in her office. She had told everyone about Jesus already. And her next question was, all right, I've done that. So now what? Right? She had done what pastors and tell congregations to do all the time, tell people about Jesus, right? Evangelize, share the good news, right? These are good things, but she'd actually, you know, was one of the rare ones who had gone and done it. And now she was asking, well, now what? I think what Bezalel and Oliab would say, well, actually, simply doing your work well, simply using your abilities and talents and putting them to use is glorifying, honoring to God. And God uses those things, And Dorothy Sayers says in that article that this is what we call serving the work. And rather than seeing our abilities and talents as a way to get somewhere else and thinking of serving as simply this other spiritual thing we do outside of our normal abilities and talents and gifts, right? We actually begin to see our expertise, our abilities, our talents as our ministry, right? There are purpose in the way in which we help God restore and renew his world. I love to brag about my wife, uh, and sometimes I like to do it without permission, and so uh, I'm going to do that this morning. But many of you know that uh, my wife is a speech therapist uh, in the county schools, and we live in a more spiritual town. And so uh, obviously God is much more a part of the normal conversation, but still, you can't just share your faith or talk about Jesus in the school setting still, even in this town. Uh, And so the question becomes is, how does my wife's faith relate to her work? And I would say that when my wife spends time planning and executing speech therapy for a child, she's actually still participating in God's work of redemption. And I want you to think about this, right? God gave us the gift of speech. To be made in the image of God is to be someone who can speak. And that speech helps us worship and praise. It helps us edify and encourage one another. And yet because of the fall, right, we see that children and adults sometimes lose that capacity to speak. And so every day that my wife goes to work in the county schools, right, whether she sees it as spiritual or not, she is participating in helping to restore the image of God in a child, right? She's helping to restore that gift of speech. And so maybe you're a doctor or a nurse, and your job directly ties to healing or restoration, or maybe you run a business, and you're helping give economic help 
to your employees, but you're also providing a service that helps this community flourish through your product or your service. Perhaps you're in finances and you're helping somebody be a good steward of what God has given. Perhaps you're a lawyer and you're helping get justice and helping set things right. Maybe you're in land or you're in agriculture and you're bringing forth beauty and goodness and sustenance where there wasn't before. I don't want to go job by job because we could be here all day, but what I get excited about is when people start dreaming of like, wait, how do my abilities, how do my talents actually help me be a part of what God is calling me to do? Because like Bezalel and Oliab, when you do your work well, that can be a ministry, right? And that opens it all up, right? Because every moment, every ordinary moment becomes infused with purpose. And so we want to be, as Christians, those who serve our work. Don't see it as just a side thing to get to the actual important spiritual things, but in all things, we're ministering. And then second, we want to determine structure and direction. We want to determine structure and direction. And if you keep reading on, uh, you see how Bezalel and Oliab's craftsmanship uh, helps create a space for God's people, right? They're creating something that's beautiful, that's excellent, which echoes God's nature himself. But if you keep reading to Exodus chapter 32, I didn't get to read it this morning, but if you just go down to the next chapter, you'll see that there is another element of craftsmanship. That Exodus 32 is the story of the golden calf, right? The people become impatient with God, right? Moses is not coming down the mountain. They need something to worship. So what do they do? They go throw all the gold to Aaron. They say, build us an idol that we can worship. So you have two contrasting pictures. You have Bezalel and Oliab on one side who are using their abilities to glorify God, to build something that's honoring to him. And then in Exodus 32, you have an act of craftsmanship that actually leads to something that is destructive, destructive to God's purposes. One of the books that I would probably say is in my top five books of all time, uh, it's called Creation Regained. It's by Albert Walters. Uh, and he gives us a helpful way to think about this, this dynamic of this difference between what Bezalel and Oliab are doing with their craftsmanship versus what happens in Exodus 32 with craftsmanship that leads to self-destructive interest. Uh, and in this book, he says that everything, everything has a God-given structure to it. And then that structure has a direction pointing one or two ways. And so maybe it's something like family or worship. Maybe it's something like technology or medicine or politics. Everything has a structure to it, a God-given structure that when it is done the way it's intended is honoring and glorifying to God, but also leads to human flourishing. Yet when the fall occurred, Genesis chapter three, what we did was we took the God-given structure of things and we pointed it in a sinful, sinful direction. We perverted the good. And so family was created good. But then because of our sinful perspectives and tendencies that began to creep in, right? Family doesn't always reflect in our culture what God intended. And it can actually be a destructive force when it's pointed in the wrong direction. Same thing with technology. Technology can have a God-honoring purpose, but sin can also lead us to take te technology in a sinful direction. And so part of what happens in Exodus 31 and 32 is you see the beautiful structure of what craftsmanship can be when it's glorifying to God, but you can also see what happens when you take craftsmanship and you point it toward your own sinful ends when the direction uh, is put in the wrong place. And so part of what God calls us to is whatever your heart, whatever your natural places of expertise and knowledge 
part of what it means to use your abilities to glorify God is that God has given you a window to look at the places of your world where you're in, where you know it, where you have expertise and ability in it. And he's calling you to discern what is the structure of this? What is God honoring about it? What should this look like if it's going to lead to both honoring God and human flourishing? And he's calling us to redirect those things from the sinfulness that we often take it, right? Because when we're captivated by Christ's redemption of us, his renewal of all things, he's calling us to join in him with it. And here's the wild part. We get to do that in all our own ways and in our own places. And maybe even more wild is it's not my job to tell you what that looks like in your place of the kingdom, right? I don't have the natural abilities or the natural giftings in sales or business. I don't have that window. I'm not a mortgage lender. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a server at a restaurant. But you might be. You might have that window. And each and every day, you are seeing it upfront and personal, seeing the structure of things, seeing what God might be able to do with this to honor and glorify him and lead to human flourishing. And you're also seeing where it's perverted, where the direction has been misled and how God might be using you to restore that direction to what God originally intended. You see, your natural abilities lead you to have insights into God's plan of redemption here in Thomasville and around the world that I don't have. And what I see my role is as pastor is to equip you with biblical principles and understandings and so that you go into your spheres and you discern with others who have similar gifts and talents and you think about how you might be able to work and restore God's direction to what he originally intended it, right? As Ephesians said in that passage that we read earlier, it's my job to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. And so part of using our abilities is that we discern the structure of our places where we spend our time, right? Where we have knowledge, where we've learned and cultivated skills, where we can be impactful as God's instruments, right? So we share the good news and we share the gospel through words, but we also get to demonstrate the power of the gospel because we do our things well. We do it with the excellence of God, whether we would think of those things as spiritual or not. So as I'll close this morning, uh, I hope Bezalel and Oliab have opened up your eyes a little bit. They've gotten you thinking, right? They weren't priests. They weren't the religious leaders of the day. They, they really didn't even have that flashy of a job, right? But God was using the work of their hands for a purpose, just as he was using Moses to preach and just as he was using Mo- Abraham to lead the people uh, into their uh, promised land. And so, I want you to think this morning, whether you're working, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a student, whether you're retired and you're spending time uh, with friends, what are you good at? What are you good at? What has God given you talent, knowledge, and also a window into? And how is he calling you to reshape the direction of a good but fallen structure? I think it's easy for us to get into this mindset of, you know, you have our spiritual things over here and our secular things over here, but God is calling us to be faithful in all aspects of life. He's calling us to live a seamless life of faith where there is no overlap or gap. He's calling us to live a seamless life of faith where all of us, spiritual gifts, talents, abilities, knowledge, experience, heart, 
is used for God's story of redemption. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your vision for us is oftentimes bigger than our vision for ourselves, that we sometimes narrowly think about ministry as, well, this is just what uh, we need to do. We just need to copy what the pastor does. And Lord, you have so much more that you want to do through this church. Lord, that you've given us all natural talents and abilities and windows into the world where you're calling us to be your instruments of redemption, to look at the world and see how it might reflect your glory, how it might lead to the human flourishing of others. And you're calling us to be those agents of redemption that come in and help redirect it to something that's honoring and glorifying to you. And so Lord, we thank you for the various places that you've put us. You don't do anything by chance or by accident. So Lord, I pray today that you would help us see that you would open our eyes, that you would help us discern, help us think through these things of where you might be using us in the coming days and months and years ahead. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.